Hello and welcome to the Chase Family Church podcast. This week we have Phil Green speaking from Mission Housing, inspiring us on how we can be hospitable to our local community and what that really looks like. Well, it's really good to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, a few years ago, uh, my wife Hannah and I were part of uh, New Life Church with the Kinghams, so we did make our way to kind of Enfield um, every now and again. In fact, my sister used to live in a house just over there uh, on this uh, street. Um, so, and it was because we were house-sitting in that house that we ended up um, renting a house for a few years in Enfield because we just couldn't be bothered to look any further and <laughs> quite liked the look of Enfield, so we ended up here for a few years. So it's kind of good to be back. Uh, so I'm now uh, the CEO of an organisation called Mission Housing. And uh, Mission Housing exists because property prices in London, you might have noticed, are really expensive. Um, and they're so expensive that it can hinder the growth of God's kingdom because uh, so many mission workers, church leaders, youth workers, community activists, they just can't afford to live in uh, London. Um, and mission housing exists to try and address that problem. So uh, we, we, we're just so encouraged by what uh, so many mission workers want to do. And we're often helping uh, people move into really deprived areas of London. But they're having to pay a massive premium to live in those kind of areas. We're helping people who anywhere else in the country could buy a six-bedroom house. But all they want is a, a two-bed kind of house on a uh, really deprived area of London where a lot of people are trying to move out. They're trying to move in. And we try to make that uh, possible. Um, so, so we do that um, in various ways. Uh, we own a number of houses that we can rent out affordably uh, to church leaders and youth workers and, and, and people like that. And we also have a shared ownership scheme. Uh, some of you may be familiar with shared ownership schemes, and in some ways it is just a standard shared ownership scheme. Um, so we enable people to purchase their own house. Uh, so they bring um, their deposit and their mortgage to the table, and then Mission Housing finds funding for the rest of uh, the property. Uh, and that's what we're in the process of trying to do for Kev and Rachel. Um, so we are really keen for them to be able to move to Enfield, so that they're living in the community they are seeking uh, to serve. Uh, but to do so, um, a property that's going to meet their needs is going to be about £700,000 um, or, or thereabouts. And with their deposit and mortgage, they can bring about £375,000 to the table. Uh, Mission Housing can probably put in a, another 50000 of our own money. Um, but you probably don't need to be too good at maths to realise there's a, still a little bit of a gap. Um, and that gap is £275,000. Um, so what we do to try to make this possible is we ask people to lend money to Mission Housing to make it possible. Uh, and Mission Housing is currently looking after about £10 million worth of loans um, that are predominantly from Christians who are passionate about mission in London. And they lend us uh, sums of money that enables us to purchase houses uh, for mission workers. Uh, our loans, they tend to range from about £5,000 up to £250,000, but the vast majority of our loans are £10,000, £20,000, £50,000, kind of in that, that region. And uh, a lot of the people that lend us money, uh, they're not sitting on vast sums of money. It may be just that they have £10,000 sitting in a savings account, and it might be £10,000 that they're 
probably are going to need in their retirement or it might be a, a, a deposit they're saving for their children's house in the future or whatever it might be. But instead of that money sitting in a bank, bank account doing very little, they choose to lend it to Mission Housing instead so we can enable a key Christian worker uh, to live in the community they're seeking uh, to serve. So we're now working with Kev and Rachel to see if there's people um, within their network, within this church, within your uh, kind of friends network uh, that might be able to lend money to make this possible. And the great thing about my job, because I've worked in uh, kind of the charity sector all my life, and normally if you work for a charity, you're constantly asking people to give you money. But, but I'm not asking you to give me money. I'm asking you to, to, to lend Mission Housing money for a time, be it five years, 10 years, 15 years, uh, whatever works for you. And you uh, can get a small return on your investment as well. Uh, so if you uh, choose to, you can make a fixed rate loan, which means if you put £10,000 in, you will get £10,000 out. And you can uh, choose uh, within some parameters uh, what interest you would like to receive uh, year by year um, on that money. Or you could choose to make that loan as an equity loan. And if, that, if you did that, you put £10,000 in, you wouldn't get any interest on a year-by-year -year rate, but that, that value of that loan would be pegged to the value of the house. So if the house went up in value, in five years' time, you might get 12000 back. Um, in 10 years' time, it might be worth 15000 um, So the, the value of your money is attached to the value of the house. Clearly, there is a risk for that because property prices may well drop rather than just go up. Um, but that's what we're, we're after. So we're after people uh, to uh, lend us in the region of £275,000 so that we can uh, enable Kev and uh, Rachel uh, to purchase a house. And, and we think that's really possible. Um, so often I'm speaking to groups like this. In fact, I was on Thursday night and the ask there was we needed to raise £500,000 worth of loans. Um, so, so, so the numbers we're talking about might seem big. Um, but we see God do miracles uh, week by week in the world of mission housing. And we have housed people in the last uh, few months that we never thought it would be possible uh, for, for them to be housed because of their financial situations. And they're now doing great uh, mission work um, in their community. Um, but the thing with miracles, the answer might be you. Uh, so it may well be that God wants you to be the ones that kind of make this happen. So I'll be around uh, after the service if you have uh, questions. Um, there are some kind of hands out at the back uh, that outlines this a little bit more detail. Um, and if you would like to make a loan, you can do so anonymously to Kev and, and Rachel. Obviously, Mission Housing need to know who you are, because uh, otherwise it would be very hard to give the money back to you in a few years' time. Um, but you can be anonymous to the church and to uh, Kev and Rachel if you uh, would prefer. So that's, that's an introduction to Mission Housing and uh, what we're seeking to do here with uh, Kev and Rachel. If you're not able to give a loan, do, do pray. Uh, we know that prayer changes things. And also, spread the word. Yeah. Um, we're always surprised at who actually does have £10,000 sitting in a bank account. And it's not always the people you expect to have £10,000 sitting in a bank account. So do spread the word, because um, it may well be uh, that there's people in your network that could help make this uh, happen. 
So th this morning, I want to very much speak to speak about the theme of home and on the theme of hope and hospitality, because that's why I love my job with Mission Housing so much, because I get to meet, pe meet people who are doing amazing things about, with their home, and they are making sure that their homes are places of hope and places of hospitality. And it always humbles me, because I'm not speaking to you th this morning as someone who has figured this out myself. I cannot hold out my hand and say, my home is a fantastic example of hope and hospitality. I hope my home is more of a place of hope and hospitality this year than it was last year, and I hope it will be even more so next year. But this is a journey I'm on. So I'm not speaking here at you, looking down at you, as someone who's got this sorted. I really haven't. But I believe that this is something that God calls all of us to, in some way or another, to use our home as a place of hope and hospitality. Um, and in Joshua 24, uh, verse 15, it says this, As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And I'm sure that's a verse you're familiar with. I'm sure it's a verse that some of you might even have up um, in your kind of hallways or somewhere in your home. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And if you looked at Joshua 24 and see where that verse is located, um, all around that uh, verse, it's talking about why it can be difficult to serve the Lord. And the difficulty in serving the Lord can often be down to idols. That's the context of this passage. It says, serve the Lord, don't serve idols. Um, and I just think that's quite interesting because idols are things which we give worth to instead of God. That we um, give to idols what we should give to God. And when we do that to objects, it stops us enjoying the object so much and it stops us enjoying God so much because we're misplacing things. We're misplacing our loyalty. We're misplacing what we put our faith in. We're misplacing where our security is. And, and I know it's been the case for me in the past and still now that I probably place more security in my home than I do God. So my home, in many ways, is one of the idols that I'm constantly having to work at addressing. And I want to make sure that I'm using my home as an asset for God and it's not becoming an idol. And I think for us in this country, uh, we have a cultural issue, issue here. Like we even have a saying in this country, don't we, that an Englishman's home is his castle. That our whole culture is kind of set up that homes are like castles. And just think about castles for a moment. Castles are all about keeping you safe and problems out. Castles are about digging moats and filling them with water. They're about tall walls. Castles are about keeping you and your very close group of family and friends safe inside and uh, the troubles out. And for many people, we build our homes like castles. We see our homes as castles. But even if you haven't got a home, that's often how we build our lives. I get to travel many churches, to many churches around the country over the past decade, and, and many churches look quite like castles. It's about keeping us safe inside, away from the troubles of the world, so that we and my small group of friends can worship God. But 
should we be building castles? Should our homes be castles? Should our churches be castles? Should our lives be castles? I'm going to suggest they shouldn't. And I'm going to suggest that we should be building hospitals, not castles. Hospitals are places for many of hope. They give people who are unwell the hope of getting better. Hospitals, the word hospital and hospitality, you may notice are pretty similar. Same root word that we'll get onto in a minute. So this morning we're going to talk a little bit about this idea of how do we use our homes as hope and hospitality. But before we do, I just want to kind of help you think a little bit about how you're going to be responding to this message. And I'm going to show you three circles on the screen uh, here. And all the words begin with C's, so it should help, help you kind of remember it. So whenever you hear anything, we've got to think about our Christian calling. So there's certain things that all Christians are called to do. Because the Bible is truth for all time, for all people. So there's the, the Christian calling. It's the non-negotiables of our Christian faith. But then we have to view that through the lens of our cultural context. It's different being a Christian at the beginning of the 21st century in the UK than it was being a Christian 2,000 years ago. Like it's just, and, it's, and it's different being a Christian in the UK today than it's, be, it's dip, being a Christian in a different country of the world today. We, we have to take our cultural culture seriously. We can't, we can't ignore it. It's one of the things I love about mission housing. We recognise that the, uh, the property situation in the UK is broken. And, and we'd love people to fix property problem in the UK. But we recognise that we kind of just have to go along with it. And we just have to kind of make it work for us so that we can get things done uh, for God's kingdom. So we have to think through the cultural context. But then we also have to think through your own current circumstances. So how you're going to respond to this message is going to be different. Whether you have your own home or whether you don't have your own home. Whether you have your own home and it's got six bedrooms or whether you have your own home and it's a bedsit and you can barely fit yourself in that home. Whether you're living with your parents or not still. Whether you're single or married or have a family. What age you are. Um, what your health is. Whether you're an introvert, whether you're an extrovert. All these things come into play about how you're going to respond to a message of using your home for hope and hospitality. But what I think... I'm trying to say is that we are called as Christians to be a hopeful people to offer hospitality. And we need to figure out what that looks like for us. And my suggestion is that for many of us, our home should play more of a part in this than it probably currently does. But we have to begin by thinking about hope. So we're going to begin by thinking about hope. We should always think, begin with hope. If we, don't think, if we don't start off with hope, everything else is really, really hard work. If we begin with hope, we stand a chance. So let me read to you uh, this uh, verse from Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So here we have the idea that God is hope. We can receive God's hope and therefore we can then overflow with hope for those, to those around us. We have to begin with hope. 
And we have to begin realising that our hope is built on a firm, solid foundation. So much of the, what the world calls hope is just wishful thinking. Christian hope is very different. Our hope for the present and our hope for the future is built on a firm foundation from the past. And that is the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. That's what we are building our hope upon. It's a firm and secure foundation. And we hope for the future. We hope for an amazing future. Revelations talks about a place where there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. Don't you want to be there? Doesn't that sound like something to hope for? And isn't it great that that hope is not wishful thinking, it's built on a firm foundation. And we watch the news. We see what's going on in Ukraine. And don't we just yearn for a place where there's no more pain or tears or suffering? We have a hope for the future. So the Christian faith is full of hope. But the question then is, what do we do with that hope? Do we lock that hope up in a castle? Do we sit down in our castle and think, yes, I have a hope for the future. So I just need to keep myself safe and problem free for the next few years. And then I can enjoy this eternal hope. Or, as this passage says, do we let our hope overflow? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, do we let our hope overflow so others around us can experience that hope? With the hope that we've got, are we going to put it in a castle or are we going to open a hospital? A, uh, a um, theologian called uh, Jürgen uh, Moltmann wrote a book called The Theology of Hope. Um, and in it, he talks about this idea about as followers of Jesus, of people who have the hope of Jesus in us, we should be passionate about the possible. You see, the argument goes that if you look around you and you don't have any faith, and you see problems all around you, well, your thinking could easily go, well, why shouldn't there be problems? Why shouldn't there be injustice and chaos and pain and suffering around us? That's just the world we live in. But for us as Christians, it's different, isn't it? Because we have a hope for a future where there will be no pain, suffering, tears. We know that how things are right now is not how it's meant to be. This isn't how it was meant to be. We were not meant to live in a world where there's all this pain and suffering. We were made for the hopeful eternity that we have to look forward to. So how do we respond? We should be passionate about the possible because we know what's going on around us. It's not how it should be. And it should make us want to fight for a better place. It shouldn't motivate us to build a castle to protect ourselves from all that's going on around us. We should open hospitals. We should be trying to make people's lives better around us because we know that, that, that what's going on right now is not how it's meant to be. We should be passionate about what's possible. We should let the hope that's in us from God spill out to those around us. And this is where we get to the subject of hospitality. So to do that, I'm going to read to you a really well-known Bible passage that really does illustrate what hospitality is all about. It can be found in Luke 10, verse 25 to start, and it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
Uh, so let me read it to you now. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hand of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So, so I want to make three observations uh, from this passage and then a question for us to consider. The, the first is, in telling this story, Jesus removes the boundaries. So when the teacher of the law asked the question, so who is my neighbour? He was really hoping that Jesus was going to put tight boundaries around it. Wouldn't it be great for this man or, and, and for us if Jesus said, oh, your neighbours, oh, they're, they're your family, and the people you work with, and the people who live within three houses of you. That's who I mean by neighbours. Like, wouldn't that be great if we were told that our neighbours, the people we had to love, were the people who were just like us? who agreed with us, who voted for the same political parties with us, that went to the same type of church with us. Oh, life would be so easy, wouldn't it? But Jesus told this story where it connected the Jews to their worst enemies, the Samaritans. And in doing so, he was saying, everyone, everyone is your neighbours. Jesus removes the boundaries. He says, we need to love everyone. And you see, in, in, in telling this story, this would have really impacted the people uh, there significantly. Uh, because one thing, Jesus didn't entirely make up this story. So apparently, this story was a common story with rabbis at the time of Jesus. However, the story that the other rabbis told went through the priest and the Levite, and then there was just an ordinary common Jewish man who helped him out. So the point of their story was, you don't have to be a religious leader to be a good person. You can just be an ordinary common Jew to be a good person. But Jesus switched out the hero and made the hero their enemy. And in doing so, made a very, very powerful statement. And the thing is, aren't you pleased that Jesus removes the boundaries? Because actually... At this time, when Jesus came, 
most of the people around him, the Jews, they thought Jesus had just come to save them. But Jesus removed the boundaries so that salvation, the kingdom of God, was open to the whole world. We benefit from the fact that Jesus removes the boundaries. But it does pose us a challenge when it comes to our hospitality. You see, I always used to think I had the gift of hospitality. I would tell people it was one of my gifts because I loved hosting barbecues. I loved having people around my house, cooking them nice food, enjoying a bottle of wine together. That's kind of what I, what I did. And I thought I was exercising a spiritual gift. Then when one day a friend of mine kind of sat me down and said, uh, Phil, you haven't got the gift of hospitality. And I thought this was a little bit rude, particularly as he'd been around my house the weekend before for a barbecue and some wine. So I was like, that, that's, that's, yeah, that's not good. And he said, you see, Phil, you might have the gift of fellowship, but you haven't got the gift of hospitality. Because hospitality, the word means being friends with strangers. And that's not what I was doing. I was inviting around my friends to my house. I was inviting around people who were just like me to my house. I was inviting basically people from my church small group around to my house. These people couldn't have been any more like me if I tried, really. That's not hospitality. Hospitality is being friends with strangers. Hospitality is about welcoming the people that are not like you into your life. So the second thing uh, Jesus does in this story is, is Jesus flips it around. You see, this story would have still kind of worked had it been a Samaritan man who had been injured and it was a Jewish person who had been the person helping them out. You could kind of make the same point, couldn't you, if you told the story like that. But what Jesus did is Jesus was placing his listeners in the position of vulnerability. He was placing his listeners in the position of vulnerability and making them think, well, would you prefer to be left there to die or for a Samaritan to help you out? So Jesus flips it around and makes us think about our own vulnerability. And you see, vulnerability changes everything, doesn't it? When you're feeling vulnerable. Um, a couple of years ago, um, I had to uh, take my son, who was probably about four or five at the time, uh, to A&E because of um, suspe suspected appendicitis. It was, it was nothing. Um, but we were there. And we were sitting in the waiting room, as you do, for kind of three hours or so. And just looking across the waiting room, you could just tell that you had all walks of life in that waiting room, just by the way people were dressed, what they were talking about. And, and, and it was quite stark, especially when the person sitting kind of a little bit over us was were phoning up someone to check their horses were being looked after okay. So you're like, oh, okay. And, and then you'd, so you've got a whole mix of people. But you know what? Vulner vulnerability, it equalises everybody, doesn't it? Because we were all there, all deeply concerned about our children. Suddenly the fact that some people had huge amounts of money and some people had next to no money, it, it, it didn't matter. Vulnerability changes things. And Jesus uh, ensured his listeners were in the position of vulnerability. And you see, this is a reoccurring theme throughout the Bible. When the Israelites were about to enter the promised land, they were told to care for the oppressed and the foreigners. Why? Because in Egypt, they had been the oppressed and the foreigners. 
in Jesus' teaching, he talks about forgiveness. Why should we forgive? Because Jesus has forgiven us greatly. Why should we show others hospitality? Why should we welcome others? Because Jesus has shown us hospitality. Jesus has welcomed us. We were the outsider. We were the slave. We were the sinner. But Jesus made it possible for us to be insiders, to become part of the family, to be freed. Jesus has welcomed us into his family, into our home. And therefore, we should be quick to do the same to others. And then the third point, Jesus tells us to go above and beyond. You see, again, this story would have been fine if the uh, Samaritan person had just put, him on, put the uh, injured person on his donkey and took him to the local Jewish hospital. Like, still be a fine story, still would have made a similar point, all would be good. But that's not what happened again. This man went above and beyond. He took him to an inn. He paid for the man's treatment out of his own money. He said he would come back and pay any more. He was greatly inconvenienced by helping this person. And I have to take a deep, hard, long look at myself here. You see, I'm, I'm quick to say I love helping people. But I really only love helping people when it really fits with my schedule. I get a little bit frustrated if helping people doesn't fit with my schedule. But Jesus calls us to go above and beyond. And I think that's a challenge for all of us. What does it look like for us to go above and beyond? What is it like for us to be inconvenienced by helping our enemies? Because that's what this passage is calling us to do. That's what biblical hospitality is all about. And then as we get to the end of this, Jesus leaves us wondering, why didn't the priest and the Levite help? Why did they just walk by? And there's, there's a couple of really practical things. They, they were probably scared. Um, they were probably scared that the robbers were still around and were waiting for someone to help this man so they could then pounce. So they probably were scared for their own safety. They were also probably uh, didn't want to be inconvenienced. But, but here's, the, here's the really tragic thing. One of the reasons they didn't help because they were on their way to worship God. They were a priest and a Levite who were probably on their way to the temple to worship God. And helping this person would have made them unclean, so they wouldn't be able to worship God in the temple. That's kind of ironic, isn't it? Because if we read the beginning of Isaiah, if we read the book of Amos, we hear God basically rant at his people, telling his people to stop singing, to stop praying because they're not doing the worship that's most important and that is to seek justice and care for those in need. You see, for the priest and the Levite, it would have been a far bigger act of worship for them to stop and care for this person than what they were on their way to do at the temple. You see, we, we, we encounter Jesus when we show hospitality to strangers. We encounter Jesus when we do that. It's an integral part of our worship. So let's begin to pull this idea of using our homes for hope and hospitality together.
And in some ways, I think our homes should be like show homes. Now, now don't, don't mishear me here. Don't, don't misunderstand me here. Okay, because I don't mean it should be like a show home because it's glitzy and totally impractical because the beds are too small and things like that. What I mean is this. We've just had a new housing development built uh, near where we live. And uh, for the best part of a year, the site was just full of mud. It was, it, it was, it was a, my building sites are often messy, but this was particularly messy. And like, there was just bits of stuff everywhere. It was chaos other than one or two houses. And one or two houses looked pretty good because they were the show homes. They were the, play, the, the, the homes which were built first so that people could go and have a look and imagine what the rest would look like. They were the show homes. And, and I think as Christians, our homes, our lives should be like show homes. By that, I'm not saying they should be perfect because we can aim there, but we're never going to get there. But what I mean is, as show homes, as our homes providing hospitality and hope, we should give them people a glimpse of what's to come. Yeah. Our homes, our lives should give people a glimpse of what's to come. They should see us and see our lives and see the hope that we have within us overflowing from us. In our lives, in our homes, people should catch a glimpse of the kingdom. The idea of your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. They should see the glimpses of hope. I talked about what Moltmann said about um, the uh, passionate about the possible. We should give people glimpses in our homes, in our lives, about what's possible. That's what I mean by our homes should be like show homes. Uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talked about uh, how we should make sure our lights are like a light on a hill and not hide our light under a bowl. And I think that fits very well with the castle image I started at. We have a hope. What are we going to do with that hope? Are we going to hide it under a bowl? Or are we going to put it on a hill like a show home? Are we going to lock that light up in a castle? Or are we going to use that to open a hospital? So... Three ways that you might want to respond this morning. Uh, the first is this. Is God calling you to come home? I said at the beginning that it's important that we start with hope. That we start with hope. Because if, if we try to do this hospitality thing on our own, it's just going to be hard work. We, we have to start with hope. And it might be that someone this morning, here this morning has never really experienced the hope of God for themselves. They've never come to Jesus to receive his welcome, to have sins forgiven and to be welcomed into the family. And it might be that God is calling you to do that this morning, to become part of God's family. But likewise, it might be that you've been a follower of God for many, many years, but actually right now, you, you, you just can't feel that hope of God in your life, that you feel empty, you feel, you feel helpless, not full of hope. And the whole idea of hope overflowing out of you you, you might just be laughing at that concept, like Sarah laughed when she found out she was going to be pregnant. So it might be that this morning you need to come and receive the hope of God. Because if you're not feeling that hope, don't try to do anything else just yet. Secondly, 
for, for most of us here, I'm hoping that there will be a small step, a little change that, that we could make. Maybe there's someone at work who really, really annoys you and fits quite well with the kind of being a friend of a stranger or an enemy. And maybe it's this week that you need to welcome that person into your, into your group or whatever that looks like. Or maybe, you know, there's a neighbour who's in need and actually you're just going to invite them in for a cup of coffee this week or whatever. I think for all of us, there probably is a small step that we could take. Thirdly, for some of us, it might be a massive leap. For some of you, you might be thinking, wow, I I could use my home for something really significant to give hope to people for hospitality. At the moment, thousands of people across the UK are thinking about hosting Ukrainian refugees in their homes. Now, for many of us, that that would be a massive leap, but, but perhaps that's for you. I used to work for Home for Good, a fostering and adoption charity, and was just staggered that people were offering their homes for children in the care system, offering them hope and hospitality. So it might be that for some of you, God is stirring something that's going to involve a big leap. And the thing is, with kind of big leaps, they're they're very easy to kind of put off, very easy to kind of hit the snooze button on, aren't they? But perhaps today's the day where God is saying, yeah, now's the moment to act. And if so, I encourage you to pray a bold prayer um, and act.